Hello, welcome to episode four of Ten Zero, where true crime and paranormal meet. I am Maria, and I'm Caitlin. How are we doing? Good. That's it. Just good. Huh? That's it. Just good. Yep. <laughs> I'm I'm still kind of shocked at today's crime history. Yeah. Um, I really wasn't expecting it to uh, pull up what I thought it did or what it did. What you got? Um, on June fourth, two thousand three, Martha Stewart was <laughs> indicted for securities fraud. Jesus Christ! <laughs> I'm trying to get a sued. And obstruction of justice. Well, um, that is pain real quick. Known for her good things, tips, and tricks, things turn very badly when a federal grand jury serves her and her former stockbroker a nine-count indictment, including charges of obstruction of justice, securities fraud, conspiracy, and making false statements. Well. I didn't follow it very much because I wasn't a real big fan of Martha Stewart. What year was it? 2003. Um, 2003. I was 10. So. Yeah, yeah. I was 13 at the time. <laughs> <laughs> Just to show my age. Damn it. Um, so, Stewart was the CEO and chairwoman of Stewart Living on the Media, Inc. And her former Merrill Lynch broker, Peter... Yeah. Baknovic? What is it? Let me see. Baknovic. Baknovic? Yeah. Were handed the indictments following an investigation of the sale of I'm Clone System stock. Baknovic was charged with obstruction, conspiracy, making false statements, and perjury. Then 61-year-old Martha Stewart resigned almost immediately from her position. She was 61 at that point? Mm-hmm. She was 61. So, that makes her... Old. <laughs> sorry. Oh, <laughs> sorry, not oh, sorry. <laughs> um, this was... 2003, she was 61. 2013, 70. I was 13, so 17 years ago? Yeah. Almost 18? So she's seventy nine ish. Um. Anyway, squirrel. <laughs> she stayed on the board and as CCO, but she and Baknovic both pleaded not guilty to the indictments brought by former Manhattan U.S. Attorney James Comey, who is now our FBI director, I believe. Oh. Um. Prosecutors charged that in 2001 Stewart was tipped off by Baknovic that the stock was going to drop after the company's owner received inside information that the FDA was going to decline to review an application for the company's cancer drug. Um, she says she sold nearly 4,000 I'm clone shares worth $230,000. One day before the FDA decision was approved or announced. Um, Martha, Martha, Martha. Right. Jan, Jan, Jan. <laughs> I'm glad you got her eyes away. Yes. <laughs> At trial, 
a federal jury found Stewart, who maintained her innocence, guilty of conspiracy, obstruction, and two counts of lying to federal investigators. Um, A securities fraud charge was dismissed on March 5th of 2004. Baknovic was found guilty on four of his five charges as well. Um, An appeal for a new trial was denied, and she was sentenced to five months at a West Virginia minimum security federal prison. She served out the sentence in 2004, then served talking about. Yeah, okay. I guess I did it last episode. Go for it. Milwaukee. Are we talking serial killer? Possibly. He had two different names um, and was born May 21st, 1960. And his names from the media were the Milwaukee Monster and the Milwaukee Cannibal. Jeffrey Dahmer. Yes. At age four, he was deemed as an energetic child until he had surgery for a double hernia and began disassociating. Um, his, I can't really blame him at that point. He was born to Joyce and Lionel Dahmer, and Joyce had a history of drugging herself and always being in bed, like resting or claiming to be ill. So she kind of like didn't really interact very much. Um, Also at age four, he witnessed his father pull animal bones from beneath the house, becoming oddly thrilled at the noises they made. Yes. Yes. Um, teachers made note of abandonment issues in elementary school and the symptoms increasing after the, after Joyce became pregnant with a second child. Um, early on, Dahmer became obsessed with dead animals and would dismember them. A friend claimed that he was trying to see how the pieces fit together. So almost like a puzzle, he was trying to figure it out. Um, he would even store parts in jars in the tool shed. Okay. (laughs) Um, he decapitated a dog carcass, nailed the body to a tree, and then impaled the skull on a stake next to a wooden cross in the woods behind their family home. What? Yeah. Bless you. Oh, God. So sorry. Um, In October of 1966, they moved to Doylestown, Ohio. And then they moved again in 1968. Joyce attempted suicide while Dahmer was in first grade by Equinel. Equinel? Um, Medication? Yes. After moving in 1968 she was using it again alongside sleeping pills to over her motherly duties for lack of a better term um she was using laxatives sleeping pills everything all at once to basically maintain that rouse of i'm ill i can't get out of bed you take care of the kids why would you lonely take that many <laughs> right um Dahmer asked his father about 
animal bones and like preserving them in bleach because his father was a chemist. Yeah. So his father excitedly, you know, demonstrated it for him because that's what he did. Like that was his job. Um, so obviously if, you know, my kids show interest in my work, then obviously I'm going to, you know, teach them what I know or show them. I think there's a line though. But, but that, given the fact that he's done certain things to other animals, I, I would see an issue with that. Um, at age 14, he was drinking and becoming socially awkward. Like, he carried around a flask in his jacket that he wore to school. How old was he? 14. And, I mean, this was back in 74, so they didn't really have the drinking age the way that they do now. Um, By age 16, he became an outcast and had his first attempt to attack someone which was a male jogger that he found attractive that happened to not jog by that day and potentially saved his life. Um, in 1977, his parents divorced. In 78, he graduates high school, stays home, or stays in the home, while Joyce and his younger brother David moved to Wisconsin. Um, June 18th, 1978, he picks up hitchhiker Stephen Mark Hicks, age 18, and lures him in with the promise of a few beers in his empty home, where Dahmer ultimately bludgeons Hicks with a 10-pound dumbbell, and once he was unconscious, he strangled him with the bar to the dumbbell. Once dead, he stripped Hicks of his clothes and masturbated over his lifeless body, and then left him where he was until the next day. The next day, he dissected the body, later burying the remains in a shallow grave in the backyard. Several weeks later, he dug up the remains, flayed the flesh from the bones, dissolved it in acid, and then crushed the bones with a sledgehammer to later scatter in the woods behind the home. Did, did you not follow this very not that closely apparently okay jesus so in 1979 he joined the army and was discharged after his drinking continued um when he was debriefed in 1981 he went to florida got a job stayed there for half the year and in december he moved back in to or no he moved back to ohio and then in december he moved in with his grandmother in west Dallas, wisconsin in 1982 he exposed himself to at least 25 people at the wisconsin state fair park including children lovely In 1985, he was arrested for assault after becoming angry that a partner moved during sexual activities. He stated that he trained himself to view people as objects of pleasure instead of actual people. That's a lot to look at. Yeah. 
hence why when I was researching it, all you heard me say was, oh, God. <laughs> oh, God. There's a lot of gasping, as I recall. <laughs> Um, oh no! <laughs> it just keeps getting worse. <laughs> um, in 1986, he began giving partners sleeping pills and waiting until they fell asleep before performing sexual acts. Wow. So he was basically trying to get a partner that would just let him do what he wanted and not move, not fight, not anything. Um, in 1987, we come to the Ambassador Hotel. Stephen Tomey stayed the night with Dahmer, and the next morning, Dahmer woke with Stephen beneath him, his chest crushed in and bruised. Um, he's, Dahmer stated that he had no memory of killing Tomey, and brought a large suitcase to transport the body to his grandmother's house. That's what happens when you drink that much. Yeah, I mean, if you're blackout drunk, then I'm sure there's a lot of shit that can happen. No, that's an excuse to murder no, no, not at all. Yeah, just saying. Um, he transported the body to his grandmother's house, and he severed the head, arms, and legs from the torso. He flayed the flesh from the bones, placing it in garbage bags. Then wrapped the bones in a sheet and crushed them with a sledgehammer before disposing of all but the head into the trash. He kept the head for two weeks wrapped in a blanket and then boiled it in Soylex and bleach in an attempt to retain the skull, which he used as, like, stimulation for masturbation. Yeah. The skull was rendered too brittle, and was eventually discarded. Two months later, he encountered 14-year-old James Doxtador, who he lured home, drugged, strangled to death, and left in the cellar. Um, he attempted to dismember him and keep the skull. However, the result was the same as Tommy's. And eventually it was too brittle and he discarded it. Here's my question. He's living with grandma. Yes. Okay. How is grandma not noticing? <laughs> grandma starts noticing like foul smells and stuff like that later on and eventually kicks him out. <clears throat> okay. Um, in 1988. 22-year-old Richard Guerrero met the same fate. On April 23rd, he lured another young man to the home, however, was interrupted and took the unconscious male to the hospital. Grandma kind of noticed that he wasn't alone, and instead of murdering him, he waited until he fell unconscious and took him to a hospital. So, that right there shows that he had somewhat of a conscience, but at the same time, he still wasn't showing any signs of, like, empathy or anything. Um, September of 88, he moved out of Grandma's home because she started noticing things and was arrested for arguing, or, no, he was arrested for drugging and fondling a 13-year-old. Um... Sorry, I can't read my own handwriting at this point. 
1989, he was convicted of sexual assault, but sentencing was postponed to May. On March 20th, he moved back into the grandmother's home. March 25th, 1989, Anthony Sears was lured to the home where the pair engaged in oral sex before Sears was drugged and strangled. The next morning, Dahmer put the corpse in the bathtub where he decapitated the body before flaying the corpse, disposing of the parts in the trash, but keeping and preserving the genitals and his head in acetone. He later told police that he was very attractive and wanted to keep him. Yeah. That's a lot to unpack. Um, Again. Yeah. <laughs> Acetone. Acetone. I feel like that's not... I, I feel like if it can eat away at your nails, right. eventually it's going to eat away at everything else. Like it burns when you get it in a cut from your finger by your nail. Yep. So I can't imagine it. Right. Anyway. On May 23rd, 1989, Dahmer was sentenced to one year with work release and five years probation. And then once he's released from work release, we get into the 1990 killings. So Raymond Smith, 32, was drugged, strangled, photographed, and then dismembered, boiled in Soylex, dissolved in acid, Minus the skull, which was spray painted and then placed with Sears in a filing cabinet. He spray painted it in an attempt to better preserve it. Um, Edward Smith, 27, was drugged, strangled, and Dahmer was then unable to keep any souvenirs. I call them souvenirs like they're, you know, trophies. Yeah. They should be considered trophies. My bad. No, none of the <laughs> well, I mean, when we talk about serial killers that like to keep things, they're either considered souvenirs or trophies, and at this point... Yeah. Yeah. Just, no. Yeah. Anyway. Ernest Miller, 22, suffered a slashed carotid artery due to Jeffrey Dahmer only having two sleeping pills in his possession that night. He was then photographed... And Dahmer wrapped dismembered parts in butcher paper and placed them in the fridge for later consumption. Here's where he gets the name Cannibal. Um, the bones were preserved and the skull was painted and then coated with enamel. David Thomas, 22, was drugged, strangled, photographed, and he kept the photographs, and dismembered. No bones were kept. And now we'll get into the 1991 killings. Curtis Stratter um, was 17, and he was drugged, strangled, and dismembered. Dahmer retained the hands, skull, and genitals, as well as photos of every stage of his dismemberment. What's the point of keeping the hands? I don't know. Mm. Well, I, I have an idea, but... <laughs> I, I, I don't want to think about that. No. That's a grody. Disregard that question. <laughs> Errol Lindsay was 19 and he was drugged 
And Dahmer drilled a hole into his skull and injected hydrochloric acid to induce, like, almost like a headache, I guess. Um, He was hoping to keep them alive longer without having them move. Um, He was drugged again because it didn't work, strangled, decapitated, flayed, and placed in salt water. But the bones and the body were too fragile and brittle, so he was discarded. Conorak Synthesmophone? I, I don't know how to pronounce that last name. Um, Synthesmophone? He was 14. And posed for pictures before being drugged. Dahmer then performed oral sex and drilled a single hole into his skull, which he injected acid into the frontal lobe, leaving him in the bedroom while he went to a bar to drink. While before he left, he lured the 14-year-old into the bedroom where Tony Hughes, who was 31, had been drugged, strangled, and left on the bedroom floor naked. Um, May 27th, he had a close call with police that was later ruled a domestic dispute due to Dahmer arriving home to find... Oh. Yes, he was 19. My bad. My notes are all over the place. Um, He came home to find the 19-year-old speaking to women who had called 911. They stated they... He stated they were lovers, and the police left after finding nothing odd other than the foul smells that were coming from the residence. I can't imagine how foul smell. If I remember correctly, the police officers that kind of peeked around just said it smelled like feces. Well, it is if you leave a decomposing corpse in your bedroom. Because normally what happens upon death is that stuff is extruded from the body. Fucking body parts everywhere. Right. Yeah. Um, He injected the 19-year-old with acid again, this time proving fatal. On May 28th, the two bodies were disposed of, and he retained both of their skulls. Matt Turner, 20, was drugged, strangled, dismembered. The head and the organs were placed in the freezer. Um, Jeremiah Weinberger was drugged, injected with boiling water, which induced a coma, and he died two days later. No, thank you. Oliver Lacey, 24... Following sexual activity, he was drugged, strangled, had sex with again before dismembering. Um, The head and heart were in the fridge and the skeleton was placed in the freezer. Joseph Braidhoff, 25, was strangled, left on the bed for two days draped with a sheet before he was decapitated. Um, Dahmer decapitated him after finding that maggots had swarmed 
the body. Um, the head was placed in the fridge, and the body was acidified in a 57-gallon drum. Because the maggots are drunk. Yeah. So, here's where Dahmer gets arrested. On July 22nd, 1991, Tracy Edwards, 32, was lured back to the apartment where Dahmer attempted to handcuff him. Once Dahmer was able to get the handcuffs on, he then lured him to the bedroom and wanted him to pose for photos. When Edwards asked what was going on, he then brandished a knife and told Edwards that he was going to photograph him, whether he liked it or not. Edwards, in an attempt to appease Dahmer, um, said he would let him photograph him if he put the knife away and uncuffed him. Dahmer then turned to the TV and was kind of like disassociating a little bit. And then... Edward started unbuttoning his shirt, further trying to appease him. Dahmer placed his head against Edward's chest, saying he intended on eating his heart. After numerous attempts to calm Dahmer, they go into the living room, where Edwards waits for an opportunity and punches Dahmer before running out the door. He had, t- he had been in this apartment for five hours with Dahmer before finally having an opportunity to get away. Much calmer than I would have been. I would have yeah. out on somebody. At 11.30, Edwards flags down two officers and takes them back to the apartment where he was held captive. When they arrive, Dahmer calmly invites them inside. Um, Edwards explained what happened, and upon investigation of the home, they found evidence of the murders and what had happened to be true. Dahmer attempted to resist arrest, however, was detained by the officers. A more detailed search of the apartment revealed four severed heads in the kitchen, seven skulls in the bedroom closet, and numerous body parts in the fridge and freezer. Elsewhere in the apartment were two whole skeletons, a pair of severed hands, two severed and preserved penises, a mummified scalp, and in the 57-gallon drum were three dismembered torsos. In the bedroom drawers, there were 74 photos of his victims and several different ways of, like, how he dismembered the bodies. Over the next two weeks, Dahmer confessed to the murders, giving full details. He was interrogated off and on for two weeks. Hence why in the last episode, I was like, eh, people have suffered worse. (laughs) Um, Well. On July 25th, Dahmer was charged with four counts of first-degree murder. By August 22nd, he was charged with another 11. On September 17th, he was charged with the murder of Stephen Hicks in Ohio. On January 13th, 1992... Dahmer pled guilty but insane to 15 counts of murder. Dahmer was diagnosed with borderline personality disorder, schizophrenia, and a psychotic disorder. All during the trial process and him being held 
for the murders. Um, Dahmer was later found of sound mind and body by a jury and found guilty on all accounts and sentenced to life plus 10 years on the first two counts, with the remaining 13 counts carrying a mandatory life sentence and 70 years. So you're looking at that's a lot. That's a le- twelve counts of life, and an additional eighty years on top of it. Um, three months later, he was extradited from Ohio, or to Ohio, where he pled guilty and was sentenced to a sixteenth term of life imprisonment. When he was in prison, multiple attempts were made on his life. However, he was discovered on the floor of the gym bathroom, severely beaten and bludgeoned with a 20-inch metal bar, and he was transported to a hospital where he was pronounced dead an hour later. And I believe that happened in November of 1992. No, November of 1994. So he was incarcerated two and a half years of his sentence. I would have left him to rot, to be honest. But at the same time, I kind of understand wanting him dead. He would have had to be in protective custody for... He was in segregation for the first year. And then they released him into Gen Pop. So, I mean, he must piss somebody off. The guy who ended up killing Dahmer also ended up killing another prisoner and said that his life had meaning afterwards because the monsters were dead. I mean, give the guy a cookie, shit. I I mean, (laughs) I don't know what he was in prison for, (laughs) but... Disgusting garbage human off the planet. Right. And that's exactly what these people are. They're garbage humans. Like, to sit there and mutilate men of all ages, including children, like teenagers, that's not okay. That's probably why. Probably. I mean, it's, it's no... It's known, I guess, what happens to pedophiles in prison. They, they don't normally make it. They don't normally make their full term of what they're supposed to serve. Sorry about you. Don't be a shit. And I, I'm not mad about it. No. I mean, I honestly think they should bring back the death penalty or whatever they do to these children needs to be done to them tenfold. Eye for an eye. No one should have their innocence taken from them, especially children. Oh, that was depressing. Yeah. <laughs> it wasn't as long as I thought it was going to be, though. Yeah, it was only half an hour-ish. Yeah. But we got one of the most notorious serial killers out of the way. And I have followed his case for years. But I never dove into it as much as I did for this. Yeah, I've never and dove into it. Whew, that was a lot. That was a lot to process and taking notes on it. I, I'm just Ooh, hoping. 
I'm just hoping my kids don't find my notebook. I like keep it locked in my car in my book bag. So I'm like, please don't, please don't read anything. Please. Don't find my notebook. Don't find my notebook. I feel like a kid who's trying to hide the fact that he's sneaking snacks at like 2 a.m. Right. Oh God. Don't read my true crime notes. Don't do it, Bob! Are you ready for a ghost story? No. Yes, always. Rude. <laughs> Gotta keep you on your toes. So, in Jamaica. Maybe. Johnny Cash wrote a song about it. Oh. On Ghost Adventures, obviously. Obviously. What is it not? Hmm. Popular cruise destination. Ooh. Hmm. Some takers? I probably know it, but it's eluding me. Rose Hall Plantation. Oh, yes. It's in Montego Bay, Jamaica. I was going to say, it's in Montego. Nicknamed the Calendar House, has 306. The original building had 365 windows, 52 doors, and 12 bedrooms. I would hate to clean those windows. Ooh, I think you think about that. Like, there's That's a house. A lot, like old windows too. Yeah, and there's a house here in Indiana. Every time I drive by, I make a comment about how you know I would hate to live there because I'd have handprints and nose prints for my animals. All over the windows. I feel like if you had that big of a house, you could probably afford to have somebody clean yourself. Yeah, but if I had that big of a house and that much money, I'd hoard it. Sure. Touche. Touche. So we're going to start with the history of Rose Hall. In 1742, Henry Fanning purchased 290 acres of cane land. Mm. So like sugar cane. Yeah. Uh, July 16, 1746, Henry married Rosa Kelly, but died shortly after. He was planning to build her a very lavish mansion, which would later be called Rose Hall. But he died before the building of the house actually began. Hmm. Um, Rosa then married George Ash, who lived long enough to see the hall completed, but he died in 1752. In 1753, she's moving pretty quick here, Rosa married Norwood Witter, who died in May 20, 1765, hmm. who consumed a very large amount of her fortune before dying. Of course. Kind of rude. Uh, May 1767, Rosa married John Palmer, a widower of the next plantation over, which was Palmyra. Dear Lord, how many times is she going to get married? That's it. So, one... Okay, so here's another question. Did he die shortly after two? No. Oh. Okay. <laughs> she died shortly after. <laughs> <laughs> well, I mean, that's to follow whoever she married. So. I shouldn't say shortly after. It was 30, no, 20-ish years. 1790. Okay. And she left the property to her husband. Um, 1797, John Palmer dies and leaves the property to his two sons. And both of them died childless. Oh. So that's fine. Uh, 
um, 18, 18 of the property goes to John's great nephew, John Rose Palmer. <coughs> no choking. That's not allowed. <laughs> so we're going to call John Rose Palmer JR. Okay. Okay. Uh, JR came to Jamaica from England to claim the property. And in 1820, he married Anne Mary Patterson. And JR died in November 1827, leaving the property to Anne, who he called Annie. Okay. You see where I'm going with this? Mm -hmm. Annie Palmer? Yep. Okay. Um, so a little about Annie. At age 10, her parents moved her to Haiti. And they shortly had to be able to leave her. Annie then stayed with her nanny, who taught her voodoo and blunt magic. Because what else do you do with Haiti? Right. Um, as far as her marriage to JR, he was very abusive to her. Of course he was. To the point where she was taking lovers from the male slaves that worked on the property. Oh. And there were said to be over 2,000 slaves on the property. Holy shit. Between Rose Hall and Palmyra. Yeah, no. That's a lot. That is a lot. He even caught her in bed with a slave at one point. He killed the slave and beat her with a writing crop. Some people like that, though. I mean, no thank you. <laughs> but fuck. Right. It fucking hurt. Yeah. So her downward spiral after this incident. Um, after the beating that she received, Jr. she killed him by poisoning him. Don't, bl <clears throat> Don't blame her. <laughs> Talk about poisoning. <laughs> from this point on, uh, Annie took many lovers from the male slaves that were on the plantation and killed them when she grew tired of them. Oh. Would hate to be a slave on this location. Yeah. She grew fond of torturing slaves for the smallest mistake that they made. Fun fact, not fun at all. Uh, she made the slaves that worked in the kitchen whistle so she knew that they weren't stealing people. Oh. Yeah. And if they were caught not whistling, she had their head cut off. Oh. Much. Lots of decapitation going on tonight. Just, just, oh. That's weird. Well. <laughs> well, <laughs> shit. Um, Annie took a second husband to end the rumors that she was sleeping with slaves. This was no better than her first marriage. Uh, she ended up... But they weren't rumors. True. Touche. Touche. Hello to this one, though. She stabbed him in the heart, and to make sure that he was dead, poured hot oil in his ears. That's really interesting. I mean, you could have just, you know, looked at the punctured heart that was probably sticking right. out of his chest with, you know, blood everywhere, or the fact that he's not breathing or, you know, doesn't have a pulse. Could they check pulse the way that we do now? I would, I mean, something to you think feel about. somebody's wrist. Right. Just feel the pulse. I don't know. Is his chest moving? No? Okay, he's dead. I mean, probably not. Because he's 
cabin park. Right. If it is, it's probably, you know, geysering. Depending on where she stands. Yeah. Anyway. I mean, that's why you sever an artery. You can watch him bleed out. Yeah? Is there something we need to know? No. <laughs> I grew up watching true crime, okay? <laughs> married for a third time. He was also murdered. Spoiler alert. No shit. Shortly before her death, Annie fell Annie fell in love with an Englishman who did not love her in return. Don't blame him. Twisted her revenge. He loved the niece of Annie's lover. Oh. His name was Tattoo. Her lover. Was that, that was his name. Uh, Annie had the niece killed. Shocker. Um, Taku found out what she had done and strangled her and then buried her in a deep pit. Oh. Yeah. A voodoo ritual was performed that should have prevented her ghost from roaming the ground, but it was not completed successfully. Hmm. So. Well then. Moving on. Speaking of not successful voodoo rituals, she can be seen on the balcony on the second floor. And supposedly this is where she stood every morning to watch Slay's Beach Party. Oh. She's so downstairs in the basement used to be dunge the dungeon, mm-hmm. for lack of a better term. It's now a bar. <laughs> it's now a bar. And they have a signature drink called Witch's Brew, which is rum and pineapple juice. Hey, that's my favorite drink. And supposedly it's very strong. Like a lot of rum and a little bit of pineapple juice. That's normally how I make mine. Um, supposedly she's said to haunt the bar. And she can also be seen riding a white horse around the bar. Well, I mean, what other color is an apparition of a horse going to be? I don't know. <laughs> I just work here. I just tell the stories. So, this could all be fake. Yeah. Like, this whole story is all fake. It's highly debated whether Annie is real or not. Some believe she was born from a famous Jamaican novel called The White Witch of Rose Hall, written by Herbert Delisser, I believe, in 1929. Some believe the real White Witch was Rosa. Mm-hmm. But she was known to be a loving and doing wife. So what is that? Um, well, I mean, normally when you're a white witch, it has nothing to do with evil or voodoo or anything like that in a bad sense that most people think of when they think of the word witch. Normally white means, you know, light, peaceful, Little fun fact. The other neighboring property was Is this one fun? It is actually. (laughs) (laughs) Remember when I brought up Jack Hiller? Yes. Okay. So the neighboring property, Cinnamon Hill, Mm -hmm. was owned by Johnny Cash for over 30 years. That's where him and Judy Carter Cash lived for 30 years. Mm. Um, He actually wrote a song 
about Annie Palmer and the Rose Hall Plantation. Yes. Called the Ballad of Annie Palmer. Yep. So I took a little excerpt from the song because I thought it was interesting. On the island of Jamaica, quite a long time ago, at Rose Hall Plantation, where the ocean breezes blow, lived a girl named Annie Palmer, the mistress of the place, and all the slaves lived in fear to see a frown on Annie's face. Where's your husband, Annie? Where's number two and three? Are they sleeping beneath the palms beside the Caribbean Sea? At night I hear you riding, and I hear your lover's call, and still can feel your presence around the great house at Rose Hall. Yep. Tell me that in my yeah, that's creepy. Also, Cinnamon Hill is said to be haunted with Jew and John Peters. Probably. I mean... I would not be mad if you were No, not at all. At all. kind of want to figure out if Graceland's haunted. Oh, I'm sure. Because, I'm sorry, but I love Elvis. So that'd I mean, be cool. You've seen my tattoos, right? Mm-hmm. <laughs> For anybody that doesn't know us, my wedding song with my husband was I Can't Help Falling in Love with You by Elvis, and I have that tattooed on my arm. So. Yes. And that tattoo was also mistaken for the Epcot ball. What? <laughs> when we were at work with another dispatcher, she said that the angle that she was oh, looking yeah, at yeah, it yeah, yeah. looked like the Epcot ball because it's a pair of skeleton hands. In a heart. In a heart. And it's an adorable yeah. tattoo. I love but, it. But, you know, squirrel. Shiny. <laughs> <laughs> Welcome to our lives at 3 This is how it goes. So, I think next week, for a little spoiler, I think we're going to, or at least I'm going to, since it's my turn with the paranormal. Do a personal experience story. Okay. That way, since I'm kind of drawing a blank on bigger things to cover that haven't already been covered by all of our ghost adventures and ghost hunters and all of that stuff, I think that's what we're going to do. Okay. As always, if you have any listener stories or anything you want us to cover, be it true crime, paranormal, or conspiracy theories, yes. go ahead and send those in. Our email will be in our show notes. Show notes. And hey, don't forget our Instagram, because I remember this time. Yay! <laughs> <laughs> our Instagram is 10 underscore zero underscore podcast. And everything is spelled out, so it's T-E-N underscore Z-E-R-O underscore podcast. Yep. We do a post every week about whatever we are going to cover on that episode every Friday. Um, Episodes are going to, obviously, release every Friday at midnight, since this is the fourth one. (laughs) You know, that way you guys can listen during the day and... Be entertained by how many squirrel moments we have. Whatever shenanigans we do that night. <laughs> you said shenanigans. Parva. <laughs> oh, 3 a.m. <laughs> What's the name of that 
bar we always go to? Shenanigans? Oh. God bless America. Well, <laughs> enjoy our squirrel moments. Hopefully you come back for the next episode, even though we probably don't deserve it at this point. <laughs> Stay safe and don't become the next 10-0.